Good morning. Before I begin, let's, uh, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this time, even as we dive into your word in the midst of uh, many things going on in our community, many things going on in our world. Uh, Father, the one sure and steady place is your word. That's the one rock and the anchor that we, uh, as your people, can cling to and know it will not change and know it will not shift. It will not be altered. It looks within. It divides uh, in a good way our thoughts and intentions. It judges. Uh, it recommits. It is a mirror, a map, and a mandate, Father, for us. And so, Father, we, we run to it this morning. We run to your Spirit, alive and well within us, to shape us, remake us, convict and lead and guide, and uh, Father, for, your, for Christ who intercedes, and a Father who hears. Father, would you hear your people? Um, speak to your people now. May we listen and hear from you only, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're starting back in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and our text is Romans 6, if you want to start turning there. Um, and uh, if, if you're wondering kind of, hey, where did Ro- how did we get to Romans 6? It's been a while since we've been in the study of Romans, all the way leading back to the fall and into November before we switched over uh, for Advent and then got into Exodus. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you, even as I was studying this week in light of this past week, both personally and professionally um, as a pastor in our community, um, you know, you have times where you really look forward to preaching, you look forward to the study, you look forward to the, the opportunity to come here, and then you have weeks where you just you want to go fishing for an extended fishing trip or, or something else and not be here. And this is one of those weeks that has been difficult for me to muster, uh, as my friend Rod would call, his gospel giddy-up um, to be here. Um, the conversations in our country that we're having right now on racial inequality and injustice are, are not new conversations to, to many of us. Many of us are aware of other times and other places where that, that has happened. Um, and, and here's what I'd like to say. No matter if you think the media is framing a story for us, um, there is a story. And we'd be wise to listen during this time to what's being said and how the Father is using this uh, to better align our hearts to His um, and come to our Heavenly Father purely out of, his, um, out of His loving kindness who came first to us uh, and chose to adopt rebels like ourself. Um, and so uh, we come to Him this morning um, asking Him to till the soil in our hearts to reveal anything that may be keeping us from loving Him uh, and those that he loves like he loves. That's, that's the key ingredient. Not, not just love, but to love like he loves. Um, and trust me, uh, when you frame it like that, there's, there's a lifetime of work that you and I have um, to be done in every one of us. And so I, I'm, I, I come this morning committed to that work. Um, I find myself, uh, if, I, if I ever comes a point in my life where I find myself committed to something else, uh, I can safely say if it's not committed to that work, if it's something else, it won't be the Father's work. Because that is the Father's work, 
to commit to tilling our soul, to showing us more of himself. And so that, that is the work we're to commit to this morning. Um, work that reveals the not-so-nice in us um, is often the hardest work of all. It's emotionally exhausting work. Um, his word in Hebrews 12 comes to mind after encouraging us to lay aside weight and clingy sins. We're to look to Jesus who suffered on our behalf um, and, and was despised but endured. In verse 3 of chapter 12, he says, Consider him who endured such from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. Um, I ask you the question this morning as I've asked myself this week, where else would you go in times where we're challenged, in times where things are uncertain, uh, in times where we don't quite know how to answer, what to do, where to go? Uh, where are you planning to go for strength? Where are you planning to go for understanding? Who are you planning to ask for wisdom or rest in all of this? Are you going to spend hours, perhaps like me and, and others, reading articles and posts on social media or watching news and other things and different narratives? Are you spending hours preparing your defense as you see you know, accusations made that you don't totally agree with and so you feel this need to kind of defend yourself? Or are you running to the Father, arms open, asking Him to heal you, to heal our church, to heal our community? I think Jesus is clear in Matthew 11 when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So this week, I, I disciplined myself to get in his word. Uh, that's, I disciplined myself to run there. Um, I'd like to take us there again this morning, share a few things that minister to my heart that I hope also will minister to yours. Our text is Romans 6. I'm going to start in chapter 5, verse 20, which is the very end of chapter 5, to give us a bit of context. So Romans 5, 20 into 6 um, says this, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Going into verse, or chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, might, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let me pray for us. Father, even as we hear your word, Father, work in us, your people, we pray. In your holy son's name, amen. Well, as you read that and you were thinking, wow, that's, that's thick. Romans is not always an easy book to understand. Paul seems to get the most from each piece of paper, filling each page with enough information to fill a theological library. Um, but God gives us this inspired and inerrant word, and by it, we're able to better understand how we are saved initiated and sustained by God, by Christ's finished work on the cross, and only received by those who are gifted the faith to do so. Um, At the end of chapter 5, we're reminded the purpose of God's law was not to redeem, but to increase the trespass. In other words, without the law, what standard do we measure our lives by? We could easily base our brokenness, uh, we could easily base our morality on the brokenness of those around us. And, and usually how we do uh, when we're looking for comps to compare ourselves by, we look for the worst and we say, well, I'm better than dot, dot, dot. And when we can't find the obvious, then we go within so that we can frame as, as, as much as we can what we see, whether it's true or not, to fit the narrative that we want to believe. But the law, the law is perfect. Laying out for us the clear standard of what God demands and leaving all of us, all of us without hope. Fortunately, Paul keeps on going. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Finally, some good news, abounding grace. In other words, you cannot out-sin the love and grace of God. Now let me clarify quickly, Paul is addressing those who have put their faith in Christ alone through faith alone. We've talked before about God's common grace, which everyone experiences generally. It's a generous grace, but it isn't a saving grace. Examples of that would be our ability to breathe, whether believer or unbeliever, rain that rains on the fortunate and unfortunate alike, earthly riches by those who are in Christ and those who are opposed to Christ. Paul is addressing those who have experienced God's special grace, which is specific, and to all those who receive it are brought from death to life, given uh, the right to become children of God. If you're joining us and you're still investigating the teachings of Christ, I want you to know, um, if you aren't sure about some of this, that this is a great place for you to be. That's totally okay. You're not here by mistake or accident. We invite you. I'm going to lay it out for you this morning. So much of it this morning. And and I hope um, that it answers questions that you may have about the Bible or about Christ and our relationship with Him. 
Uh, I've got three things for us this morning, uh, three points I want to point out in our text. The first uh, is this. Uh, we're going to point out the true gospel that, that Paul shares here, the security of justification and the fight of faith. The true gospel, the security of justification and the fight of faith. First, Paul explains to us what the true gospel looks like in verses 1 through 4. Paul starts our text with a question, and keep, keep in mind this is in light of what he said at the end of chapter 5. If the law shows us more and more the depth of our sin, but the deeper sin goes, so much more goes the grace of God to cover that sin. Then what shall we Christians say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul emphatically says, by no means. In other words, there is a proper, tangible, spiritual, emotional, physical response for those who have been truly tasting the grace of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't believe that Paul is prescribing a particular emotional or physical response, but it's clearly not an invisible one either. No one tastes the grace of God and stays the same. Throughout Scripture, we're taught that those who are one with Christ will distinguish themselves from those who aren't. One may present themselves a believer, but ultimately, when tested, only the true gospel endures. Look at verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's obviously not saying that Christians stop sinning when they become Christians. But he is saying that those who have tasted the living water and decide to run back to drink from the puddle, somehow at some point will know and sense the difference. They may continue to drink from it at times, but it will never be the same as it was before. Something significant and life-altering takes place when we are moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It may not manifest itself on the outside immediately, but it cannot help but manifest itself. Look at verses 3 through 4. Look at the communal language here. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. A reminder that we all have blind spots, and without others in our life to help us see and deal with what is happening, I and you, we run the risk of something dangerous in my life going unchecked, bringing harm to me and others around me. That's why I love the church body. I love uh, the membership process because we commit to one another to protect one another, even if we're protecting ourselves ultimately from ourselves. Oftentimes, when it's protecting ourselves from ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul describes our union with Christ like a marriage. For it is written, two, the two, Christ and you, will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. What, do we, what are the vows that we take in marriage? Sickness and in health. 
plague or no plague, whether we're in a building or whether we're living out of a trailer, whether we're masked or whether we're unmasked. Don't miss this, church. This is what takes the place in the life of a genuine Christ follower when he's changed and brought from death to life. Becoming one with Christ isn't that different than a marriage. In a marriage, oftentimes, you seem at odds at times. You'll be asked to do things that seem uncomfortable or foreign. But two certainties in this. You cannot stay the same. And in any argument in this relationship, God is always right. (laughs) What makes it easier to endure hard things difficulties in a relationship is knowing that there is security in that relationship. And that's the second thing I want to point out here in verses 5 through 11, the security that we have in justification. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The theological concept of justification uh, when I first heard it kind of explained to me, unpacked to me, revolutionized the way that I see the gospel and the cross of Christ. Uh, our Westminster Shorter Catechism says it's an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons our sins, accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, given, put into us, and received by faith alone. So as long as I wanted to be, uh, as a young believer, struggling with security and assurance in my relationship, as long as I wanted to be a faithful Christian, but failed constantly in attempts to follow Christ's example perfectly, left me insecure about where I stood in our relationship. I wonder if any of you have felt that way, insecure in your relationship with Christ I lived for a long time afraid to ask the question, as maybe many of you are, not only in your relationship with Christ, but other relationships in your life. You almost don't want to ask the relationship status because you're afraid of the answer. What I didn't want to hear was, I don't love you from God. Folks, that is a lie from the pit of hell, perpetrated against God's people to keep them imprisoned, and keep their eyes off the prize. That isn't the way that God relates to his own. You always know where you stand with God, for good or for bad. It's clear. We believe in God's elect. We use that term around here, meaning Christ loves all generally, but some specifically. But that biblical truth has so many times been warped There has never, let me just say that this way without getting into the depths of theological sovereignty of God, uh, reformed theology, all those kind of things. Let me just say, there has never been a person who comes to God genuinely desiring his forgiveness and a relationship with God and who has answered, no, you are not my elect. It's never happened. It will never happen because of this very fact No one chooses God. Look at Romans 3, 10 through 12. We studied it forever ago, it seems. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. 
Not even one. If you come to God seeking, it's because something significant has already taken place in your life. And then you respond. Let's go back to our verse in Romans in verse 6 here. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul is using this imagery of the old self. Uh, and, and when he says that, he's saying all of you. He's, he's not saying the, bo- the bad portion, the little dot inside you that's bad, the devil inside. He's talking about all of you. Our entire body of sin must be brought to nothing. In other words, there isn't a part of you that isn't in some way affected by sin. And the old man has to die. All of me. The one death Paul refers to in verse 8 took place somewhere around AD 33 at the moment where Christ died on the cross and purchased back from death all whom Christ came to save. Verse 9, death has no dominion over him. So spiritually, it has no dominion over you. He says that in verse 14, paralleling Christ's dominion and and our dominion, or sin's death's dominion over him versus death's dominion over us. And this is not our grave he's talking about here. We are buried alongside him in his. Does that mean... The theological question that may come out of this, does that mean that God's chosen people were Christians at that moment? No. Salvation purchased for you there before you were ever conceived and applied at a place and a time of God's choosing. Now, I wish I could get into that. We do that in our foundations class, and we just don't have that. Um, oftentimes, I, I think of this story when I was trying to get into college. Uh, I was... Uh, I was I didn't have the greatest scores. I'll put that out there. Uh, I won't tell you what they were. Um, I'm not even sure I took the same test that they take now. Um, But I became committed to calling the admissions office almost every day, at least several times a week, to check on my application. I I was certain, I became convinced that there was one person sitting at a desk, and in front of them was this huge stack of paper that was all the applicants to try to get into school, and that somewhere in there was mine, and that they were using different like modules, like test scores and all this kind of stuff. But I came, became convinced that if I called them every day, they would have to drag through that piece of paper, this huge stack, my application, to say, oh, yeah, 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 I've got it right here. And at some point, they would get so tired of my calling that she would push some button and it would release my acceptance letter. And she would move my stack, my stack of paper to another one, and she would be rid of me. Now, I don't know for sure if that's how it went down. I did get in, but I like to think it went down that way. I like to think that it was helpful. But let me just say that. That is not your salvation story. It's, as great as that story is of us badgering God somehow to somehow let us in by our works or by some other things, that is not your salvation story. That's often the story we want to write for ourselves. That's often the story that we live out. It is not your salvation story. You didn't beg God to let us in, and he finally relents. And therefore, we're just lucky to be in the kingdom, so sit in the back, keep your mouth shut, and just be glad that you're here at all. That is not how God sees us. Again, that is a lie that's perpetrated on believers in Christ 
who, to imprison them. That is not your story. Your story goes back to the foundations of the earth where your name was on his mind and your story was written and began. And Christ faithfully endured the cross so that he, you may be buried alongside him and raised alongside of him. The security of your salvation, the, the moment it's applied, forever grafts you to him in his life and in his death. So if anything in your mind, if, if there were ever this thought that somehow, some way, the Trinity were to get in mind to kick you out, then they would have to leave as well. Because your life and death now resides with Christ. You are in Him, who is forever inseparably linked to God the Father and the Holy Spirit. We aren't going anywhere, those who are in Christ. We've talked about genuine faith. We've talked about the security of justification that God gives us in our relationship. Now, lastly, the fight of faith, verses 12 through 14. Uh, let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you. This is again, it's this parallel between verse 9 and the dominion of death, not having any dominion over Christ. 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Now here's where um, many of us as Christians or many other Christ Christian-like movements leave the gospel behind, the true gospel, and pick up for themselves a false gospel. It's so easy for us to say something in the effect of, Jesus has saved me by his grace, assured me of eternal life, and now I am obligated to become like him in my own efforts. Almost as though justification, justification uh, being saved is the good news in the gospel, and sanctification is more like the fine print that, that we didn't really think about to sign because we just we wanted to be saved, and so now it's like, okay, it's the fine print, but you know we're getting saved, so yeah, I guess we should be like Christ. Now, I, I, we can't dive into all of this, and I'm glad that I've got kind of two weeks to kind of unpack this because the, the rest of this kind of chapter really kind of parallels in a lot of ways. So we're going to talk about this a lot next week as well. But I do want to focus on verse 13 as we close. Um, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The gospel of Jesus in no way says, earn this. The true gospel is not a story of those who bring themselves to God. The true gospel is one of those uh, who have been carried from death to life, carried from death to life, and now given power through the Holy Spirit to present themselves as useful instruments of God. This fight of faith or sanctification is the big word that we use oftentimes, isn't the work that we do to repay God. It is a work of God's free grace. This is Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism again, where we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more 
to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Now, the Westminster Longer Confession, if you're wondering what these Westminster Confessions are, it's a bunch of old dudes many years ago that got together for a long time to write out what we believe and how Scripture teaches these things. I would advise you, so I've, I've mentioned the Westminster Longer Confession, which kind of goes into more detail. The Shorter Confession, which is kind of this question and answer thing um, to teach your kids and to teach us theology. A huge fan of it, and it's so helpful in better understanding doctrine and theology. This is the Westminster Longer Confession 77. Actually, talks what you know. What is the difference between justification and sanctification? Uh, question 77. Answer: God in justification imputes that word imputes put in uh, to uh, imputes the righteousness of Christ. In sanctification, His Spirit infuses grace and enables. To, to the exercise thereof. In the former, in the former justification, sin is pardoned. In the other, sanctification, it is subdued. As we mature, we begin to understand that our pursuit of sin robs us, denying our need to be renewed imprisons us. That is what we learn as we become more and more. Uh, conformed into his image, and, and that joy is only found in pursuing Christ in obedience to his given and revealed will, which is in Scripture. Once you only had the power to present your body, yourself, to sin because it mastered you. Sin was your master. Your body was used as a weapon claimed by sin, used for sin. It doesn't mean that you couldn't do good things but any good wasn't sufficient to save you from your master, to free you of your master. But now an exchange has been made at the cross. You have been carried from death to life, set free from your former master, and given a new master. We're going to unpack that more next week. But with that exchange comes freedom and power to present your instruments as weapons of righteousness. Paul is pleading here to the church in Rome, never go back. Once you were unable to truly do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before your God, the, the, the thing that's asked in Micah 6.8, but now as children of the living God, you have been carried from death to life, and your life is forever linked to Christ's life. No longer present your body. No longer present your words. No longer present your thoughts. No longer present your actions as weapons for your former master used for sin. I've seen a lot this week. I've experienced a lot this week. I realize in some of my conversations and readings and watchings that we may not always be intentionally using our words and our actions and our different things as, as, as a weapon at all. But it's exactly what Paul is warning the church about here, that we present our bodies to God as weapons of righteousness, that we seek what God seeks, that we look to His Word and we seek to be doers of His Word. The Bible uses descriptors that, that take intentional action in our, in our pursuit 
of Christ and sanctification. And, and we've been given great security and power to do these things. The Bible teaches that the believer in Christ puts on, uh, puts off, puts to death, strives, makes every effort. These are describers that are used in Scripture for the believer because we have this great security, because we have this great power source in the Holy Spirit. God confidently entreats His people to do these things as biblical commands, not to earn or repay the favor of God, but in worshipful response in order to be tied less and less to the old man, to put that old man to nothing and pick up the new man, to be built into Christ because we believe those actions. Those actions bring life to us. And not do them, not doing them, is an attempt in some ways to revive the old man who's dead, who's no longer. I know that this season makes it hard to be in each other's presence, um, but this week has been a reminder of just how much we need each other and how much of the transforming power of the gospel's lead is, is, is built out of community with one another, out of conversation, out of mutual sharpening, not only in our actions, but in our thinking, and how much God can use us in each other's lives to help form and shape us into his image, to show us our blind spots, to help us commit together to be changed. It reminds us that we have not arrived. We may even find, as others speak into our, li speak into our lives, that we may find that we haven't always stayed on course like maybe we thought we did, that maybe somewhere along we got off course, and that course needs to be cor corrected in thought or in action. Through Christ and by His Spirit, we can overcome. In, in fact, the truth of Scripture would tell us that we can become more than conquerors together. I just want to affirm that we as a church are still very committed to this pursuit of Christ together, even in this season, uh, as it looks different for us. But if you find yourself isolated from the church during this season, I'd like you to ask yourself, how might I reconnect with someone in our family to grow together, to talk, to be challenged, to be encouraged? What would that look like? If you don't have anyone to call or text, reach out to me or Lori Bar, Becca, other, other people who are part of the church, we would love to connect you. We, we would love to talk to you. If you already are connected to those people, then maybe ask the question, am I, am I getting the most out of those opportunities? Am I, am I taking advantage of, of all that I have from these people and the questions that I challenge myself with? Are we going deeper in our relationship? If you're on this feed and, and you're still kind of thinking about the things of God and what it might mean to have a relationship with Christ and learn to grow more and more into His likeness, um, please reach out to us. It is our pleasure 
to talk to you, to help walk through uh, what that looks like and, and, and even what having a relationship with God looks like and, and, and invite you into that, invite you into this family or some other family. We would love to encourage you to reach out to us so that we can continue to talk in that way uh, and help you discover what that looks like. Um, let's pray together. Father, this morning, pray that your word would continue to speak as this stream ends and we go about our day and we begin to fix lunch and we go about our afternoon and we start our work week or uh, whatever our week looks like. Father, that your word would continue to speak. Your spirit would continue to invite and convict and encourage that we would not be the same. That, Father, we would be renewed in the whole man, to be conformed in your image, to pursue you. Father, I pray that new groups would form that that aren't created by the church, that are just initiated by individuals calling other individuals, that relationships that have been apart these last few months would be um, renewed and bonds and bridges would be remade. Father, perhaps difficult conversations would be had. But Father, would be done in love, encouragement, one another, to sharpen and, and, and spur each other on to love and good deeds. Father, pray that that would happen this week. Father, we pray that you would bind the evil one who seeks to lie to us, to keep us in bondage, to remind us that the old man is alive and, and is the only man that we can trust in, is ourself. Father, help us to see those things as lies and pursue the truth. Sanctify us in your truth, we pray. And it's in your Holy Son's name we pray. Amen.